free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hello from the City of Angels. It is Sean Zock, still in a chair. This is the drop zone. Uh, sorry about that, folks, but... That was an inspired intro. We're in the same... Uh, place right now we're both in la and we're in dylan's bedroom of our (laughs) pirate ship airbnb and the reason we say pirate ship is because um it looks like a pirate ship it's cool it's interesting this is i mean we've been lucky enough to be in some cool airbnbs but yeah we've got uh four or five of us are in this house for the week we are at the genesis invitational we are listening to the waves we're in Pacific Palisades, up towards Malibu, and guys, look, sometimes you get a discount if you're willing to deal with some funk, and we've yeah. got a lot. You know, Airbnb has here. has been doing those uh, those commercials for like the different types of houses, like the special listed houses. There's like a potato house. Yeah, yeah. This this one might be on that list. I feel like we got a big discount, and actually, I probably would have paid more for the experience. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very good house. Anyways, enough about that. We're here in LA for the Genesis Invitational, and it is Tuesday night. Um, going on Wednesday morning, we saw Tiger Woods talk today uh, at his presser. Tiger in the flesh playing this week. That's yep. a huge deal. Um, and we saw a bunch of other things. So we're going to get into that, and then we're going to talk about the Netflix show. Chances are, you like your golf podcasts, so this might not be the only one you listen to, and it won't be the only one that talks about the Netflix show, but we're the only one with original thoughts on it. How about that, Dylan? Boom. <laughs> um, that's a good claim. I hope that we can back it up. But yeah, we we are just going to do a one-off podcast on Netflix. I mean, we'll, I'm sure we'll revisit all manner of Netflix things later, but uh, yeah, we wanted to give you our thoughts. So spoiler alert already, we will get into some stuff from that, but first... Um, Sean, I do want to talk about the Genesis because we've now been here a few times to this tournament and look, it's no surprise to you guys that this is one of the great tournaments of the PGA tour season. But I guess, Sean, do you feel that way being on site? Does this feel like not yet? Not yet because they're not letting any spectators here until Thursday, which is kind of odd. Tiger will play a pro-am in front of just about nobody on Wednesday morning. Um, I think it, it feels elevated because by the end of the week you have what will ultimately be a very good champion, like only really good players win here and they'll all be raving about the golf course. So whereas the Phoenix open, which is where I just was at, they really hype up the event and not even so much the golf course. Like it all kind of feels like it like the only the last three holes matter at that course. It's not like a major championship golf course. This is a major championship course. And hopefully that's what designated events will ultimately give us is either a ton of hype like the Phoenix Open gives us or a great golf course that feels kind of major-esque. The players will have that. Riv will have that. Phoenix Open will have that. The playoff events will probably kind of have a taste of that. Um, so yeah, it definitely feels like a big week. All right, good. I'm glad that you came around to that eventually because I think it does. I think it always kind of does to an extent. I mean, it's just people love this golf course. I think they love the golf course partly because the setting just feels, um, kind of majestic. I guess the fact that we're in a major city, we're in, you know, not quite Hollywood, but definitely there's a there's a big time LA entertainment feel to the whole thing. There aren't other tournaments on tour like this one. Um, no. The fact that it's Tiger's event elevates it further. Uh, the fact that, I mean, there's always a strong field, but now the fact that it's a designated event, there's what, nine of the top 10, maybe 19 of the top 20 players in the world? I mean, Cam Smith is breaking that up, but I think everyone else is here. Adam Scott, who forgot to sign up for the Phoenix event, was not going to miss this one. He Mm -hmm. won it a couple years ago. Um, Yeah, man, it's it's good to be here. I feel like this course brings out, uh, tends to 
you know, have the best players rise to the top. It's fair. Xander Shoffley, I saw a clip of him talking about it. And when he thinks of Riv, he thinks fairness. And it just it's such a lame word that gets tossed around as praise. <laughs> like fair it should be the kind of baseline expectation. But what he means is there is not a hazard on this course that will feel like it's out of place. There is not a, you know, a green that you can't hit into because of this bunker or that bunker. Um, it's fair. You get what you get. You get what you deserve. You have to work the ball both ways. A lot of guys who have gone on to win the Masters have won at Riv even just you know a couple months prior to winning the Masters. So that's why they all like it because it feels like a major yeah. to them. And those of you who haven't been to Riv, I'll just try to give you like a 30-second explanation of why it why it feels cool, why it feels different. Um, you start up at the clubhouse, which is at the top of the property. The first tee you've definitely seen on television, but guys are hitting way, way downhill to the fairway. Basically, the entire golf course exists down at that fairway level. So you start at the clubhouse, you can see out over the whole course. And then once you're down on the course, now you're looking up at the epic clubhouse and you're also in this big valley and you're looking up at these houses that are worth tens of millions of dollars and those overlook the course. And so you're kind of in a canyon. It feels very, very um, upscale, old school Los Angeles. There's a lot of star power around. Uh, you know, the Pro-Am will definitely have some celebs tomorrow. If you're a tour pro, would you rather win this week than last week? Oh, man. It's funny. I because was thinking about that earlier. I think it almost depends who you are. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm asking you. <laughs> like Rory McIlroy <laughs> would rather win this week. This week. Yeah. In my mind. Um, guys that are a little bit more old school. And then, all right, which one would I rather win? You kind of become a quick legend if you win the Phoenix Open. I know. In, front, that's in, the, in thing. the eyes of you a have lot such of broad appeal. People. Yes. But if you. All right, so this starting this year, mm, I think most I What's think most answer? tour pros most tour pros would rather win this week at Riviera yeah. because what it, it 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 earns you a different kind of respect among your peers. Yeah, um, and that is actually a huge deal to these guys. <laughs> they really like they know that the win is kind of gets the monkey off your back when you win anywhere, but a win validates the fact that you can beat. 130 players in a given week um, winning at TPC Scottsdale. Think about what it says right there. TPC, the players club. There are dozens and dozens of those across the world and they all are kind of just set up for PGA tour pros to shoot 20 under at Riv. Joaquin Nima kind of burned it to the ground last year, but the, w the winning score is going to be in the like 10 to 12 under range. Generally that's yeah. a, that's a major championship test. So I think most players would rather win here because it says a lot about your game. Yeah. So just the last thought on the golf course, there is no water out here. There are no hazards. I mean, unlike most other courses, definitely like unlike most TPC courses. Yeah. You're not going to be racking up penalty strokes. There's a couple holes where you could hit it out of bounds, literally off the property. Um, but besides that, it's just a subtler test. It's going to just get you with paper cuts, being out of position, mm -hmm, missing on the cuts. wrong side. Um, the targets are small and so guys do need to scramble pretty well to play well here, but Riv, it's good to be here. You know, who doesn't play well here. Tiger Woods. Tiger sucks here. <laughs> really People sucks. forget that. Well, the last time Tiger played this event, he finished dead last. Well, yeah, he made the cut and then he did not have a good weekend. I remember him four putting. I remember on that Sunday, there was like a video of he hit his he hit an approach shot into a trash can yeah. and then it was having to like fish through the trash can. It's like, here you have, you know, the greatest player of his generation <laughs> at his own event. He's the host and he's like reaching down into the recycling to get his golf ball out. You, I noticed you said the greatest player of his generation. Well, I just didn't think this was the, this was like, the time. To... I didn't want to spark the debate and oh, just okay. say, Oh yeah. Greatest player of all time. Do you think he's the goat? Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, yes, <laughs> you're right about that. Um, it's weird. He has played, he's, he's basically won everywhere he's played except here. And this was the start of his career. This event as a 16 year old. What's funny is that this older version of Tiger is the kind of guy who 
probably needs to just ball strike his pants off. And this is the kind of course that would reward that. Um, the the ability to hit irons both ways and shoot two under and have that be a really good day. That's what Riv is. And so it's kind of puzzling that later in his career, he hasn't actually done that. Right. But holy cow, if he can, if he can shoot one under, uh, Thursday, that would be fantastic. People would start talking. He hasn't tended to putt super well here, but man, it is the symbolism with tiger here is very, very thick. I mean, this was the first PGA tour event he ever played. He was 16. He was a, a sophomore in high school. It was what? He was flexible as all hell. Holy cow. His swing is so long and smooth. It's so good. Um, so, and he was reflective about that today, but the fact that this was where a, his PGA tour career began. And then also, I mean, very literally also where his career and his life almost (laughs) ended also came here. I mean, he's a Southern California kid, you know, it's hard to keep track of, of what a Tiger Woods comeback is at this point, because there have been so many, this is just a, yeah, an intermediate comeback, I guess, because he, he played last summer. He played a little bit this winter. Um, but as far as places that are important to Tiger, his tournament in the part of the country that he's from in a place that has included some, uh, some triumphs personally, and also some horrible agony, uh, I think it's a pretty meaningful week for him. What did you write about today? I just wrote about his press conference and how this version of Tiger Woods involves a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Talks with more uncertainty. Um, that didn't used to be on Tiger's menu. No. Uncertainty. <laughs> I mean, he, would, he wouldn't necessarily answer your questions. He, he might blow them off, but he would. there was nothing wishy-washy. He said the phrase, I don't know more today than I certainly remember him saying. He, mm. he said that in reference to awkwardness at the Masters Champions Dinner. Yeah. He said, look, yeah, I don't know what it's going to be like. It's, there's some friendships that have ended and, and you know, it's all going to be about Scotty, but yeah, it's going to be basically a little weird. I don't know what it's going to be like. And he said it with regards to the future of the PGA Tour. He acknowledged that, yeah, some guys aren't thrilled with the restructuring of the tour. And yeah, I don't really <laughs> know exactly what that future is going to look like. He said, yeah, we're on it. We're, we're doing the best we can. We're trying to figure it out. But yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like. And then he also said it with regards to his own future. I mean, as immediately as this week, like he doesn't know for sure that he can walk 72 holes because he has not walked 72 hasn't done holes. It. He definitely is a lot more confident. He is under the impression that he's in much better shape now than he was last summer, um, that he's made a lot of progress as far as walking goes. And the plantar fasciitis has gotten that's, that's a lot pretty better. ominous that you think about it though. What's that? Dan Rappaport asked, have you walked 72 holes on four consecutive days Yeah, or 18 holes on four consecutive days, 72 in total, what it would take for you to finish this tournament. And he did not hesitate. No, he said, no, no, (laughs) No, I haven't. And so this week's going to be his first one. If he makes the cut. Yeah. That should be the only thing that levels everyone's expectations. Really? He, he spent his typical time in a presser saying, look, I'm not showing up to any tournament. And not trying to win. Like, I, I think I can do it. But we're used to him saying that. We're not used to him not walked 72 holes over four or four days. So please temper your expectations, folks. Yeah. And I think that this is this is a point in his career and a point in his comeback where I think we have kind of tempered our expectations. Not everyone, Yeah, we didn't certainly. even expect him to play. But yeah, this feels like a bit of a bonus. It felt like, yeah, he would probably try to play a tournament before the Masters. Mm-hmm. Either this. Sounds like this is going to be the only one. Or the though. players. Like, it's possible he would still show up at Sawgrass, but. He said today, though, he kind of basically ruled it out. Yeah. The way I saw it. The way I heard it, he said, yep, and we're going to react to how this goes and get ready for Augusta. Yeah. And so I I would not expect him to go to the I think the only, the only situation I could see is if he misses the cut here but feels okay and yeah. wants to get some more reps under his belt. Then I could see him adding something else. I was, I was saying this earlier. I'm looking forward to the 
article from the uh, Tampa Bay Tribune just sort of saying, oh, you know, <laughs> Tiger, Tiger Woods might play. still hasn't ruled out the Valspar. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for the people at home who did not watch his press conference, I was a bit surprised at how much he referenced his ankle. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tiger, it's always been a lower right leg injury that we've heard him battle through and it's always kind of felt like it was the fibia uh like the 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 bone between the knee and the ankle that had so much pain and then maybe in the the base of the foot and i guess that's where plantar fasciitis really hurts but the ankle was surprising to me yes i don't know what to think of that um i don't know how many titanium rods are in his ankle and if that gets easier over time or if it's the kind of thing that actually really can't handle hills it's hard to keep track of and honestly tiger has never been all that good at explaining his own injuries Well, that's why so, i was surprised like he has not told us anything about the ankle right. in the, since the accident and so for him to point that out i actually think is almost a positive sign because he's always said ah you know it's my leg it's my leg it's my leg yeah. but now he's, he's like kind of simplified it down to it's the ankle, ankle. But we, I guess we'll really see tomorrow when you go watch his pro-am. I have no further thoughts on it being his ankle versus his foot, but like I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I guess like if he was a if he was a big man in the NBA, they say the worst thing is the feet, right? I'd rather have a rolled ankle than a bum foot. Yeah, but he's know. not. Hmm. Yeah, if he was. <laughs> um, one last thought on Tiger. He was very intriguing talking about the end of his career and the idea of being a ceremonial golfer. And I get, I touched on this in the, what I wrote too, but he was asked about Brady retiring and Rogers potentially retiring. <laughs> and he referenced John like Elway. <laughs> he was saying, he was saying, you know, he remembers watching Elway breaking down after winning the Super Bowl and retiring. And, you know, he, he loved football. He wanted to keep playing, but his body told him no. And I think that they're, the blessing of being a professional golfer is you can just keep going, but there is also kind of a dark side to that, which is that, yeah, look, there aren't these 300 pound guys going for your knees. Like he referenced, um, about these football quarterbacks, but instead it's you, you're the one that's just beating up on your own body. And yeah. tigers had some external factors involved there for sure, but he's going to be the one to pull the ripcord at some point. He doesn't sound like he's interested in continuing to play the Masters until he's, you know, 75 years old. So he jumped in there real quick. With he KB. did. KB was like, you know, you have no interest in kind of playing the Masters at 60 like Arnold Palmer or Gary Player. He said, nope, nope. Stop you right there. Yeah. No interest. <laughs> so and the, again, that's the sort of thing that, yeah, maybe that maybe his his mind will change over time on that. There's no way probably to know. Like once his options are play ceremonial golf or don't play golf at all, He's that's a very a different menu. Yeah. Full-time caddy at that point. For Charlie? Yeah. <laughs> um, was there anything else that struck you about watching Tiger today? He kind of, well, he, he looked like he was happy. Yeah. Honestly. I mean, he there was a phone call that his phone was going off in the middle of his presser and he had to stop and, and uh, mute it. Um, but he had, he had no problem jumping in like he did at KVV or he kind of did at Dan Rappaport. Uh, I think he enjoys being back. I, I actually overheard him and Jason Day as I was walking by on the, the putting green and Jason Day said like, this tour misses you, man. And, um, we've known Jason Day to really like idolize Tiger and loves Tiger, loves himself as yeah. a Tiger. Um, so maybe Jason Day is just like, I miss you, man. Um, that was his way of saying it. I think it's true. Um, and I think Tiger misses being out there. He, I don't think he wants to be the, just the majors guy now, but it's not a whole lot more than that. And so he'll have to find out whatever is going to make him comfortable and happy. And I think being here makes him happy. Over under Tiger plays 6.5 stroke play events this, this calendar year. Stroke play. So the PNC is out. PNC's out. And the hero's in. Hero's in. Uh, he's going to play all the majors. Yeah. So that would be four. And yep. the hero's in. And Genesis, and, and we Riv expect is in. him to play. So you're asking, is he going to play another tournament? Yes. No. Wow. 
I don't think so. What what other event should he play? Well, a Ryder Cup is a uh, match play, so I did not include that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he. I don't know if <laughs> I just made a very wheezing laugh. I hope that comes across. I guess he's not going to make the playoffs, and you know, I guess the ma- winning the Masters does <laughs> winning the Masters does qualify you for uh, for the FedEx Cup playoffs. But yeah, I mean, that would be no. It would be the gonna. players, or it would be. I mean, no, he's not going to play Memorial at this point. It's no. just that it's not a good setup for him. I don't know. I take your six and more get out could, of Dodge. Enjoy it. Yeah, we'll enjoy it. Goes back to Liverpool where he won. If we get a proper six, then like, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I'm not convinced he should play Oak Hill. Why? Cold May and Rochester, brutish conditions. That's not really his style right now, but yeah. But I don't know. I mean, if he's healthy, of course he should play. But it's just like if he is on the fence that feels like it that feels like the most traditional u.s open course that's coming this year so that would potentially be one to skip all right let's move on from tiger huh netflix uh it goes without saying that at this point we're gonna share some spoilers some tidbits on what to expect without saying so i'm glad you're saying it (laughs) uh spoilers alert i guess um the show is out by the time you're listening to this so Look, if we're going to bother you by breaking, you know, some news about what you're going to see, which I don't really I don't, don't really think we will, um just stop the podcast, move on and come back to us. And but then, thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, thank thank you for being here. Uh the Netflix show is called Full Swing. It is 8 episodes long. A lot of golf podcasts are going to devote an episode to each episode, so they'll be doing a lot of talking about Full swing. Dylan and I are going to give you the important cliff notes, the original cliff notes, I think. Um, winners and losers, um, and maybe some overall thoughts. But I think, Dylan, you got to get out of the way and just explain that you're, you're extremely visible in the I'm show. I'm in the show. Um, if you have only listened to The Drop Zone, you can find out what I look like by tuning in. For the for the record, my voice is in the show for 10 seconds, too. Yes. So. This podcast is in the show couple different snippets but yeah no it, it was really fun i was totally unsure until literally seeing the show like how much i was actually going to be in <laughs> i'd sat for a couple interviews i'd run through the whole thing Wait, at what at what point did you realize oh god i'm in this thing a i'm lot. really in this thing <laughs> i mean i was talking to one of the producers um guy named christian and he was like look man you need to kind of get your head around this like you are you are in this you can't, you know, this isn't really a thing that you can just like, yeah, downplay out of existence. Like yeah. you, you actually literally are in this. I, cause I feel like with the, with things like this, and I've never been in something like this, but I just feel like they shoot so much stuff mm-hmm. that the only smart way to go about it is to assume that whatever they're shooting is not going to get included. And that is the case with a bunch. I mean, you and me were mic'd up at, events and walked mm. around and kind of talked about what we were watching yeah and, and they cut it those sons of guns and they didn't include a single second of that stuff so there was a bunch of that but uh no it was cool there's a little bit of cringiness involved with watching yourself on screen um i was glad they did not include my explanation of what <laughs> a par is um amanda renner did a great <laughs> job with that um but yeah no it was fun it was fun. It's cool to see. Like I, I never dreamed I would be on Netflix. Um, so yeah. Is that one of those things you never, you never reached in your dreams or you, you this, know? well, this was, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, when I was first dreaming of, uh, you know, Netflix probably didn't hardly even exist. So sure. Um, all right. So with that now out of the way, let's just overall share our impressions of it. Yes. Um, I don't want to like do a 10 point grading scale or something like that, but well, you can, if you want, no, I don't want to. Um, I, everyone asks, has asked me, Oh, what do you think? What do you think? Um, it's kind of been the the talk of the tour in my experience, having been in Phoenix for a week and then showing up here. Um, they had the premiere launch like episode, um, party in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the show is, rather good i really enjoyed it 
Um, and I, I've kind of been telling everyone that it doesn't really matter who you are. I think you will find you, I think you will enjoy it. Totally. Um, yeah. Now, if, if you've talked to anyone or, or listened to anyone talk about it, it is, it is made for the widest audience in the world. And it, it feels kind of cliche to use that disclaimer because, uh, everyone is using it, but it is made for Netflix's audience and it is not made for necessarily CBS's golf audience. Um, not at least at first. I think the show progresses from what you discussed of Amanda Renner explaining what par is to some fairly nuanced levels of what happened in pro golf last year, which was the craziest year in pro golf um, history, I think. So anyways, there are levels to it that will be entertaining to everyone. I wrote about it uh, maybe 10 days ago. I just kind of encapsulated the emotion involved in the show. Like they do a great job of showing golf from angles. We don't see golf, uh, PGA tour golf, um, on television. We don't get side angles all the time, um, from various things or, um, really close up shots or even really far away shots. We are used to, down the line shots on the CBS broadcast because they have to. They have to pay attention to the scores at that exact moment. What club is being played? How many yards there are uh, between you know the lie and the hole? And so Netflix doesn't have to pay attention to all that crap. And so they can kind of dive into the emotion. And so you get the emotions from Justin Thomas and his dad when they won uh, at Southern Hills. You get the emotions of. Tony Finau crying about his mother when he kind of goes back to think about his upbringing. You get Joel Damon also crying about his mother, um, getting emotional talking about his caddy Gino, um, Matt Fitzpatrick's family, extremely emotional. Yeah, I found myself knowing exactly what happened and knowing exactly what was coming in each episode and still getting kind of chills seeing it happen. Um, and I guess that's the kind of that's the that's the idea. If they can get me to feel emotional about it, they can get my dad, my mom to do it too. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, I think about this all the time of, you know, there's such demand for immediacy these days and I think that sometimes we like get we get obsessed with that like yeah, oh, it's our well, job. <laughs> yeah, you can you you know, you got to have the story ready when the last putt drops or whatever. But like when I was a kid first reading sports writing, first reading Sports Illustrated, I already knew what had happened, but I would still wait for the story to arrive in my mailbox Wednesday or Thursday about a game that had happened Sunday. And this is like the ultimate version of that. There is there is some stuff that will make news, but really you're seeing a behind-the-scenes version of something that you've already seen. I mean, that you've already you already know the results. Yeah. You know how it went down generally. Um, this just gives it a richer texture and you have a better appreciation for it. I don't know. I cruised through all eight episodes with, uh, with Emily, my wife, who obviously is exposed to a lot of PGA tour broadcasts, but I feel like there was instantly a greater appreciation for all of the characters. And then we actually went to Phoenix her first day ever at a PGA tour event. And it was like, Oh yeah, well I want to see Tony. I want to <laughs> see like there's Fitz. Oh yeah. There's yeah. Like they're all my friends from the show. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, obviously she has a more personal connection to it than, than someone else because I yeah. work in golf and I'm in the show, but like that was a pretty compelling test case. And, um, okay. What, what did you love about the show? If you had to list the thing that you right. loved the most, what yeah. did you love? This the is most? actually, this is easy. My favorite part about the show is that it showcased how many different ways there are to be a professional golfer. Like yeah. we tend to think of these guys as, I mean, some of them can be pretty boring on the surface and we, that, that's our job is to find things that are, are interesting about them. And there are plenty of things, plenty of those things. Don't get me wrong, but this show really, really highlighted how differently guys approach family preparation, practice mentality. Like everyone goes about it in a different way. Everyone copes with the, the, the stress and the pressure and the travel differently. Um, there's just a lot of different ways that guys get it done. 
And I think that they did a really effective job of differentiating players from each other. Hopefully yeah. other people feel the same yeah. way. But Yeah, there, so there are 13 characters really in the show. Uh, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Scotty Scheffler, Ian Poulter, Dustin Johnson, uh, Joel Damon. Gino is kind of like a half character alongside Joel. I think he's a full character, <laughs> to be okay. honest. Sorry, Gino. Um, Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, Tony Fino, Colin Morikawa, Mito Pereira, Rory McIlroy, Joaquin Neiman, Joaquin, Joaquin and not and Sath. Um, so those are, those are the 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 main figures here, um, and yeah, the the part that I loved the most was the uh, treatment of Joel and Gino at this sectional qualifier. Mm. Um, in part because I caddied for you in qualifiers, and um, it's. That was something that I didn't know happened. I didn't know they had cameras there. I kind of forgot that Joel had qualified uh, to make the U.S. Open. And, I mean, that's why that episode was my favorite. Because it goes through, like you just said, why Joel <laughs> is comfortable as the 70th best golfer in the world. And um, why he needs Gino as his caddy. And why his story is different than the other guys. And why his desires are... are probably somewhat different too is work ethic somewhat different and um at the same time that like that adds into the fact that hey you can get into the u.s open by being the 70th best player in the world this is how you do it that that like adds layers to your understanding of pro golf your understanding of the u.s open and then he careers it and what did he finish like t8 that week or something like yeah, that? yeah i think t10 maybe but t10. you're right it was just the perfect it was like the perfect cocktail of I mean, it just had everything because literally, I think, literally, the homie yeah. had seltzers between sectional <laughs> qualifier rounds. I think for this formula to work, um, where Netflix wanted to zero in on a player and then also focus on you know one or maybe two tournaments in an episode, you needed that player to have an interesting tournament. And yeah. so in this case, they had <laughs> Joel's lead up to the tournament, which included going to. U.S. Open qualifying, and then they also had him going to the tournament, downplaying his chances, and then <laughs> literally leading, um, and then ultimately contending, coming up short. It's so funny because they asked Justin Thomas at the beginning of the entire show, like, can you win the PGA Championship this week? Yeah. And of course, he's like, yeah, for sure. And they asked Joel, can you win a major? Can you win the U.S. Open? He's like, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I, I think the, the levels to the PGA tour come across really well. Um, it, in order to enlighten our drop zone listeners where like, so that they can recommend this show uh, yes. and, and, and make their friends smarter, where are their shortcomings? Well, I guess I don't really, including you too much. Yeah. I wasn't in the first episode enough. That's my main <laughs> critique. Um, I think for if they were looking for suggestions for season two, we know they're loyal zonies, so hopefully yeah. all, the whole crew is listening to this. Sure. Honestly, I would love a version of this that focuses on the events yep. in chronological order from start to finish mm -hmm. and then uses that as the framework more so than... Uh, than a loose framework with um you know one or two players per episode but kind mm -hmm. of bouncing around i mean we go back to southern hills like yeah i think like maybe four times over the course of the the season and there was some compelling that happened at yeah. in tulsa this year don't get me wrong <laughs> compelling confirmed um, so yeah i think that that would probably be my my preference is like okay give me a full masters episode yeah. Like let's let's well, lean yeah. into Augusta. And in their defense, they probably would argue that the second episode is a full masters episode. Yeah. But you're leading into, I think, my own um it's not a gripe because I really did enjoy the show. And to be clear, their task in front of them to appease yes. us as well as the widest audience in the world, it's it's an impossible task. It really is, uh, especially during a year in which, like, you oh, you have to pay attention to this live thing too. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Um, so they had a, a high bar to clear, and um, I thought that they did a really good job. Yeah. 
But when you think about the Masters or even the Open, I mean, I spent the entire summer in St. Andrews, so that was the biggest event in my world. Um, it, it felt like when you focus on players so much, which they needed to do to kind of set the groundwork, the events can really fade into the background. Mm-hmm. And so when Tony Finau has his back-to-back, Minnesota and Detroit, two lower-level PGA Tour events, very much the lower level, um, two wins, two like kind of commanding wins. Um, those events were elevated because of Tony's involvement in the show and he was so open. And so they got great access during those weeks yeah. and, um, they were elevated almost to a level. I think that the masters was treated, <laughs> which, yeah. which sounds like uh, hyperbolic, but like, the fact that Brooks was the person they were following during Masters Week well, that's misses the, problem, the cut, right? Misses yeah. the cut, and there's only so much that you can include of of Scotty winning the Masters. Um, the Masters doesn't look like it's highlighted as much, and that's why it is going to be somewhat tough to really nail like um, to really get a, a a bunch of great reviews from like the golf hardos, the golf nerds who put Augusta on this pedestal in the open at St. Andrews. So that's why their job was impossible. Um, yeah. And so season two though, why not? I was told by an agent last week, like, yeah, man, like the, they, there are so many stories in golf that they can tell. And that includes the events that includes the road to the Ryder cup. And so, um, I mean, I know that they were on a flight with Tommy Fleetwood and Shane Lowry from Phoenix to LA this week. Ooh, those are two Ryder Cup guys. Like, if Netflix signs on for season two, I presume they will because I think it's a good show and I think people will watch it. Why wouldn't there be a huge Ryder Cup pursuit throughout the entire year? Right. I mean, well, we've talked about it, and part of the reason we like to talk about the Ryder Cup months in advance is because it's one of the most fun ways to categorize guys in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, you just don't get that in in golf in too many other ways. Sean, I want you to run through, uh, well, I want us to both run through some winners and losers from the show. Yeah. Do you want to start off with a winner? I'd rather start off with a loser. Um, I think Phil Mickelson is a a slight loser in the show. Phil does not sit for an interview, but every time that Phil Swing broaches the live topic... Phil's face comes across the screen. It's Phil doing a press conference at a live event. It's Phil um, dapping up, uh, you know, some of the Saudi leaders. Um, and it, it really paints him as the villain, which, like, look, that's kind of accurate. Yeah. Um, he decided to wear the black cape. And um, gosh, if they could get Phil to sit for a season two, holy hell, people would be interested in that. It really was a reminder that Phil dresses like the villain too. Oh well, yeah, I all mean black. the all black motif. The yeah, growing out the the little scruff last year, always got the the sunglasses on. Mm-hmm. He looks the part. I'm sure they reached out to him. Um, he has gone dark in a lot of ways, uh, not just his clothing, but he has not agreed to be on the drop zone. We haven't asked. I think he'd be open to it. We've been we've been DMing lately, so you never know. Give me a good uh, article for you to write tomorrow. Phil Mickelson still has not <laughs> declined invitation like, <laughs> to be on the drop zone. Like the Tampa Tribune. Uh, so yeah, I think Phil is a, a definite loser. <laughs> not literally, but literally he's Clip a loser. That part. He's a loser on the show because he doesn't have a chance to uh he didn't take any chance necessarily to defend himself and just kind of Whenever there's sad music or, or bad music being played, Phil's face kind of flashes across the screen. Yes. Um, I'll give you a loser, too, while we're at it. And this one was... I mean, this kind of made me crack up because there was no way that Scott Piercy was going to be involved in this Netflix show Hell yeah. if he wasn't in the unfortunate position of just dive-bombing on the back nine... <laughs> at the 3M and getting chased down by Tony Finau in the process. Yeah, what, a four-shot lead to start the day? Um, I think it was a five-shot lead to start the day and definitely stretched out to six shots at one point. Uh, there was one hole where, yeah, he, he drives it into a bunker, leaves it in the bunker, hits his next shot into the water. And it's just 
I mean, it's just a collapse. And of course it's accompanied by Tony making a bunch of putts and, you know, importantly, like making putts in crunch time to actively chase someone down. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, there's just also this highlight reel of Scott Piercy going down in flames where, <laughs> you know, he was not going to end up in this show if he won a tournament. So tough scene tough. that he ended up uh, by blowing one. Um, another loser. Another loser. Dustin Johnson, the basket. Dustin Johnson, the basketball player. Oh, broken jumper. Huh. We, uh, as a PGA Tour focused media group, um, the collective golf media have long discussed DJ's athleticism with uh, like a weird attention to basketball. Like the fact that he could dunk a basketball, you know, made us talk about how much more athletic he was than the rest of the other golfers. And I think we gave him a little too much credit that just because he has some hops and can get up, like means he's got a really good jumper. He might have an effective jumper, you know, but that doesn't mean it looks good. And I think we we've thought, oh, DJ would be a good hooper. But they show him, I don't know, just shooting around with AJ and, and Paulina in the backyard, and he's got a lot of shot put to his jumper. I need to tweet this out tomorrow as like my my real re- revelation from the series. Uh, I did not enjoy seeing DJ's jumper. It sounds like you're maybe implicating yourself by extension, like as someone that has potentially has a good jump shot. Well, no, no, no. As someone that has has claimed Dustin Johnson, no, no, as no. a golfer actually, athlete. Actually, have not given. Or you him. felt maybe validated by this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There are a lot better hoopers on the PGA Tour than whatever Dustin Johnson was doing in his episode of uh, Full Swing. Yeah, I would just say probably the, I guess the Live guys as a whole. I think showing they showed the clip from Live London where they're getting asked if Vladimir Putin had a golf tournament, would they play in it? Mm-hmm. Where which is a a classic. Uh, you that's, know, in my mind, it, a simple no would probably suffice there, but <laughs> instead they kind of, you know, yeah. Poulter says, well, was I not... don't have to answer that question. That's a hypothetical. Yeah. Well, he's not necessarily wrong about that. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not the fairest question time uh, at the time. Certainly interesting, though. It's an interesting <laughs> thought experiment. Uh, I mean, you know, there there was a Moscow Open that I think probably existed, maybe even on the European tour not so long ago, but. Yeah, I tough scene for those guys though. Like it, it did not feel like the live guys came out looking great. No, but the beginning of Brooks Kepka's episode, you can you can find sympathy for him for sure, and I think you can with Ian Poulter too. I think mm-hmm. that there's plenty of humanity in both of those guys. I think that you could argue that Kepka comes out of this a winner in some ways in terms of man. There's some real depth to that guy that he just never shows off chooses not to show chooses not to show off actively keeps you from seeing yep but the fact that the guy who says he doesn't really care that much about golf <laughs> exact opposite. cannot get golf out of his mind <laughs> is um i mean that's a pretty tragic figure yeah definitely uh, all right let's do some winners then winners hmm you got no winners for me no, I think. Well, Chad Mom is the real winner. He got Rory to he got Rory to join the show. That was a massive victory. Um, he got Rory to really join in on like sitting for an interview. I think the story goes like he got it at the tour championship, and Rory said, "Screw it, yeah, let, let's do it." Um, and that's the real up and down of the eighth episode, the final episode, the one that. Um, people will watch in the future before they turn on to maybe season two. And Rory just happens to win the tour championship that week. He chases down Scotty and um, there's behind the scenes of him talking with Andy Pazder, you know, one of the execs of the PGA Tour. And it really, uh, I thought that it accurately kind of captured the role that Rory has been playing all year long. They could do that without his involvement but it would not be that detailed and so i think chad's a huge winner for convincing rory to get involved and so late in the game it's actually it's just it's it's there's luck involved too rory is absolutely the the rug that ties the room together of this show um he's the focus of of episode eight which is the finale 
mean, it ends with Rory. The way the PGA Tour season ended with Rory like taking up the mantle and then also winning the Tour Championship. Spoiler alert, if you did not <laughs> notice that happening last year. Um, yeah, he was a... he. I guess the show was a winner, which is what you're getting at because of, of Chad Mum. So I'll definitely double down on that. Um, just a quick one because you already touched on it, but I think Joel and Gino are going to become... Uh, they're going to go from insider golf cult heroes to mm-hmm. uh, again, I have no sense of the scope of this show and what it's going to be. I can't really figure that out yet. Um, but it feels like they are going to gain significant. Um, I don't know what the word is fame. They're going to gain a bunch yeah. of fans. Yeah. Well, I think also people know Joel. He's the one with his, you know, his name is on the back of Gino's shirt his caddy bib. Yeah. Um, and he's the guy with the bucket hat. Um, even to some people who aren't all the way in on golf, but so maybe Gino's the real winner yeah. because he's all, you know, when you're a caddy for someone, they refer to you as his caddy, like Joel's caddy. Gino has probably been introduced as Joel's caddy thousands of times in his life. And so now we know him a lot more by his first name and his last name. Um, and so he's got to be he's got to be a winner because Joel says straight up I love Gino. And also Gino has probably the best line in the entire episode or the entire show. Which was that? When he calls Joel a boner. Yeah, yeah he calls him a boner. I mean, there are a lot to choose from because that episode was chock full of one-liners and the the bit where they have Gino reading the letter that he wrote to Joel and then you yeah, know Joel God. again reading it and kind of choking up as he reads it is it's really good, man. That's that stuff is that's real. And that was the point yeah. in the season where I could fully commit to being like, yeah, this there's some really good stuff here. Yeah. Definitely definitely got me emotional. Um sounded like got you emotional. Do you need someone like do you need your caddy to write you a letter? No. I need some I need yeah. I it need is Valentine's something. Day. It's Valentine's Day. It's February, you know. All right. Any other winners that we got to um, get to? Oh, definite winner for me. This is from the pilot. One of my favorite parts of the pilot was uh, Justin Thomas trying to check out of the CVS pharmacy and just struggling. (laughs) A, couldn't find the allergy medicine. Um, Then just, you know, couldn't get the chip reader to work and just very relatable. Also, you could just envision the like kind of panic of JT knowing he was on camera trying to do like a normal yeah. person thing and completely <laughs> hat backwards. And then the camera follows him out and, and there's a guy walking into the CVS as JT's walking out and who totally has this like, Whoa, that's Justin Thomas <laughs> and tells him like, good luck or something. But yeah, that was, I think that this is stronger than say like the tennis documentary because yeah. there are, there are better scenes and there are more scenes that play out. Yes. And that was one that was completely organic and uh, just added some texture to the moment and to his PGA win. I definitely feel bad that both the tennis and the golf doc are coming out at, at basically the same time yeah. or almost in a sandwich. We got five episodes of Breakpoint and then eight episodes of golf and then five episodes of the rest of Breakpoint in June. Um, Timing-wise, leading up to Wimbledon, that makes sense, but it's hard to think about one doc without thinking about the other, in my experience. Yeah. Like, they are made in the, the very similar way, extremely player-focused, um, and that that might be how these documentaries need to be made, but I, I do think the golf one is definitely better than the, the tennis one, in part because of the access to the people they got were actually champions. You know, There is no boss figure of Rafa Nadal hanging off in the distance who's not sitting for interviews like they got Fitz winning the open they got JT winning the PGA they got Rory winning the tour championship and um Tony winning multiple events like they got a lot of winners so they 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 definitely got the right people final winner for me would be um I think tapping into just the solitary nature of the sport and showing that contrast that I'm always fascinated by of, 
you know, you go from winning an event with thousands and thousands of people ringed right around the 18th green and that moment of elation in front of a ton of eyeballs to the fact that by the end of it, you're one of the last people on property. By the time you've you've signed your scorecard, you've done media, you've gone and maybe had a glass of champagne, you've shaken hands with the grounds crew, you've signed some autographs, you've cleared out your locker, you're leaving and they're taking down the bleachers. And, you know, I've talked about this some on this podcast, but that feeling of anticlimax is very real. And I think you very quickly get back to real life. And it's like, it's just an isolating feeling. They captured it with JT pretty well, like driving out of the parking lot in the first episode, which I appreciated. They captured it in the finale with, you know, how does Rory celebrate winning $18 million? He sits down with a guy he's never met probably in the locker room. He's having a glass of red wine. He pulls open his phone and you know, there's a text from tiger woods and he's gearing up for his flight, but it's just Rory alone. And I liked that a lot. Think about how different that is than other pro sports when they win their championships. Think about, the motions that have to be that ha- that that Mahomes went through. Mahomes was raging that night at a concert, a chain smokers concert with <laughs> Kelsey. Like, and that came after obviously doing media, but also like receiving the Lombardi Trophy at the fifty yard line and uh, and the Super Bowl MVP trophy. I think, yeah. And I don't know. It's just JT. You get pushed through seeing all these different people and then it's like dark and it's time to go home because you're exhausted yeah and you don't have the same type of team to really celebrate with right and then sometimes you have to go play the next yes. week <laughs> and you're, yeah you're probably not at home and you might be going to another tournament and you might not be with your people like you may or you may not it's it so it quickly comes back to just you compared to yeah yeah definitely football team it makes sense why that uh, David Duvall quote after winning the Open was like he reached he might have reached world number one or at least he won the Open uh, as his major victory and then he's flying on a private jet back home and he's like kind of surprised that he didn't really feel anything so I don't know that's kind of a really sour way and, and well sad way except to, I would say you will feel something watching these guys th- go through this because. Totally. I mean, even even if you're not feeling something, even if they're not feeling something, that in itself is really compelling. Yeah. So um, I hope you like it. Reach out. Let us know. I'm feeling something. You're feeling ready for bed. I'm feeling tired. <laughs> uh, we love you guys. Read all our stuff from Genesis this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few days. <laughs>